All right, good evening, everybody. We are whew, a few days away from Yontif, and um, Yontif that is going to be different from our perspective. That it's something that we're not familiar with and uh, have never experienced in our lifetime. But that's not to be said that this is the first time that this has happened in Jewish history. This is unfortunately something that is not uncommon throughout Jewish history. The idea of uh, trying to run. Uh, services or run a community during the time of a pandemic. Um, but it'd be fair to say that the pandemics that have been dealt with in the past were far more severe and far more deadly than, uh, than they are today. Now, interestingly enough, halakhically, there's not a whole lot of information there regarding, um, regarding the Spanish flu, which is you know the most recent uh, event that has taken place. And one would think that there'd be a lot of information um, regarding it and surprisingly there's nothing whatsoever it's almost in, uh, it's almost impossible to um it's almost impossible to uh, find something you know regarding the spanish flu but that being said is a lot of information regarding the cholera epidemic and so what we're going to do is just go through how a lot of the um just do that how a lot of the um rabbinim dealt with the cholera epidemic and it's going to be quite interesting because it's it's it sounds very familiar. So some of the stuff I'm, I I, found, I managed to find some English translations online. Others I haven't. Uh, I've got a nice piece of paper somewhere here. Two six. What is it? Two seconds ago. Okay, oh, here we go. So I've got this uh, this series of sheets over here, which is Klalei Hanhagot La Rosh Hashanah V'Yom Kippurim. So the um, rules, general rules and principles for running Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, Shnat Kaf Taf Kuf Tzadi Beit, which comes out to 1831. In Pozna, which was in Poland, if I'm not mistaken. So these are the, the rules. So now we set out emails and, and uh, send out uh, lots of different rules of what's going to be done and what can't be done during you know, this time. But even here in 1831, so we're talking about 100 and 180 years ago. Yeah, something like that. So um, 190 years ago. So we see that the um, what they had to do. So... Um, let me let me go before I'm just going to share my screen and show you some of the stuff that was said. So first, what I wanted to deal with this evening was dealing with some of the issues that we're seeing um, that's happening in the halachic world at the moment. So there are two broad issues. One of them has got to do with not fulfilling mitzvot. So how do we wrap our head around not fulfilling mitzvot? Because either it's illegal, you know, the governmental rules are that you cannot go fulfill the mitzvot. So you can't uh, have minyanim, for example, which is uh, look, looks like what's going to happen in Israel. I mean, it's, uh, it's happening in Melbourne already that they're not going to be minyanim for Yontif. And in Israel, they're going into lockdown on Friday. So similarly, they're not going to have minyanim for Yontif. So how do we deal with those things, whether it be from a governmental point of view, or <coughs> even if there are no rules that are official in the government or, you know, being brought down. But the medical opinions are that these are things that, that should not be done. So how do we halakhically get our head around those? The others are going to be not so much not fulfilling mitzvahs, but actually doing things that are a virus. So the most classic case is going to be eating on Yom Kippur. 
So how do you do during a pandemic? How does one uh, eat? Does one not eat? Uh, who gets to eat? Do we, do we give a general rule to an entire community? Or are we going to limit it to only certain people within that community? And the like. Now, just before we go into some of the specifics, um, we have a couple of rules that uh, in, in, like have to be understood before we can go into it. So, pikuach nefesh, no question, is, is uh, the, the value of a human life and the necessity to be able to protect human life um, trumps everything else. That goes without saying. However, um, there's a concept in Allah called Shomer Ptayim Hashem. It's a verse which you say in Tehillim and Ejun Halal. And the way it's usually understood is that um, Hashem God's, uh, the word petty um, is sometimes understood as someone who's simple or ignorant. But in the context is that, you know, that when people do things that are done, so we say Hashem will protect, you know, the, the you know, people. So, for example, um, driving in a car is, is, has a certain level of danger associated with it. So, surely if Pikuach uh, Nefesh, we should never drive in cars. Says, well, people got to drive in cars and Hashem uh, will protect you. So, there's this idea that when you're doing normal behavior, normal activities, even though they have a certain associated risk with them, nevertheless, Hashem. In fact, Rav Moshe Feinstein used this verse to uh, at a time. Now, granted, he was writing probably in the 60s or 70s. That it was a question: Is is it prohibited to smoke cigarettes? Now, this is at a time where everybody smoked, so it was clear that even though uh, everyone smoked, that it was a very undesirable habit. So, Rav Moshe said that it is it is prohibited to start smoking, but if you are a smoker. You, it is not a prohibition and you don't have to stop. Why? So when you're doing something that everybody's doing and is considered a, a reasonable risk, so that is So if there's a reasonable risk, even though it is a risk, we don't say pikuach nefesh trumps everything. So that is one element. On the other hand, pikuach nefesh, if we have a definite uh, concern that somebody's life is at risk, and you want to you want to either save a life or prevent, you know, prevent them from dying. So, pikuach nefesh. So, if someone's really ill or injured, they need to be saved. So that's very simple. But what about? I'm not very ill, but I could get very ill. So, for example, if a person is in a in a situation where um, let's just say there's a a, a a person around the corner with a gun. And I see them walking towards that corner and I can stop them. So at this point in time, they're 100% healthy. They're, they're, not, they're not ill. They're not a person who's just had an accident, who's just had a heart attack. There's a person who's, who's at this point in time 100% healthy. So do we say, well, when the danger comes, then we will, uh, then, then we will put in the prayer then we can machalal Shabbos, we can break Yonta for whatever the case might be. But until they're in that situation, we can't do it. Or we say, listen, if you're going to be allowed to do it later, then definitely you should be able to do it. You know, we should wait you you get into life-threatening situations before you break Shabbos. Let's break Shabbos so you never get into a life-breaking situation, situation. Okay, so those are like a couple of the principles. Um, now, with regards to doing things like for health benefits, are we going to draw a broad line saying that somebody who's unwell in, in any context, so let's, let's be lenient for them and give them permissions to be able to... Uh, do things that otherwise would not be allowed to be done and give them? Or do we say, listen, just let's do a blanket rule. 
So obviously there's going to be a case-by-case case situation, and a case I don't mean individualistic in as much as I mean that uh, depending on the pandemic. Coronavirus is very different to cholera, which is very different to the smallpox, so the black plague that, uh, that uh, <coughs> went through, or the bubonic plague, whatever. It's when you have very deadly plagues coming through where the, uh, the, 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 the casualty rate is significantly high. So the rules are going to be very different to others. But these two sort of introductory points are very different because not fulfilling a mitzvah is definitely not as severe in the eyes of halacha than transgressing an avera. So to not hear shofar, yep, you didn't hear shofar and that's a terrible thing, but it's not the same as eating chametz on Pesach or eating on Yom Kippur. So the burden is going to be much lower, the, the, the bar will be much lower to not fulfill a positive mitzvah than it will be to uh, transgressing. So for example, if a person is... Uh, is 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 cash strapped so they they're struggling financially so what's the halachas with regard to galula so they can't afford a lulav this year so should they go beg you know beg on the streets for money in order to get a lulav just that is so halacha is not if you can't afford a lulav you're exempt from lulav not borrow and whatever you are exempt from the mitzvah of lulav if you can borrow wonderful but Mikradin, if you're in a place where there's no lulavs and the only way to get a lulav is by, by begging, so you're exempt from the mitzvah. You do not have to put yourself in debt to buy a lulav. But let's just say you can't afford kosher meat, so can you eat non-kosher? No, but uh, I can't afford it, so I go vegetarian. It, it doesn't matter how, how cash-strapped you are, you can never transgress the negative mitzvah. I can't afford matzah, it's too expensive, fine. So can I eat, can I eat chametz? No, you can't eat chametz. So you don't have to eat matzah, but you can't eat chametz. So you, you can eat potatoes for the entire eight days. All right. So those are just a couple of uh, introductory remarks. But let's look at Rabbi Akiva Eger, which um, was asked a question. So Rabbi Akiva Eger was one of the greatest rabbinim of the, uh, the early uh, 19th century. And here in 1873, this is uh, the rules that I said. We're going to get into them. But here are a letter that was asked that people say, what, what are we going to do about Minyanim? So he says, His honor's letter to me. So this is uh, the word honor is how you respond. So, you know, to I received your letter, regarding prayer in a synagogue during the epidemic. In my view, it's true that a gathering in a small place is inappropriate, but it is possible to pray in groups, each one very small, about 15 people together. The group should begin with first light, and, should be, and then there should be another group. And each of these separate groups should have a designated time to come and pray there. The same process for different groups of 15 at different times should be used for Mincha. So it's almost like exactly what we're talking about today. This is cholera epidemic. but uh, so. And after each prayer, evening and morning, each group should recite Tehillim, certain poems, which His Honor, the rabbi who asked him the question, should select. And the text of Kerachum Shemecha, Aneinu Hashem, Aneinu Misha'ana, Hiratzot, these are all to do with prayers of um, Yom Kippur, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, okay. and every morning, every evening after citing a portion of the daily Korban, they should recite ent entire text of content. So what he's saying here is that just adding to prayer. So, so I asked um, Professor Shechter Schlitter yesterday that... Um, during Corona, should we be adding anything to davening? So, to wake up in the morning and daven 
during the you know the pandemic as if it's just a regular time of the year. It's like you know we have shachet today, we have like we have shachet every other day. It's clear that we've got to acknowledge that there's something unique that's happening at the moment, and to be able to dub into Hashem. So, so there are a number of different situations. So, should say extra verses of Tehillim. Some suggest you should say Avinu Malkeinu, say the Avinu Malkeinu prayer the whole way through. And that's what uh, Rabbi Akiva Agus just saying this uh, this Pituma Kotoret, which we saw on Shabbos morning, is um, there's a, a verse in Parshat Korach where we see that um, that all there's a plague going through, and Aaron the Kohen um, puts up uh, incenses, incense, and it um, burning the incense, it, it it eradicates the the plague. So so Rabbi Akiva Agus says so you should read. Those sort of things to uh, as as a segula as a prayer together. Now, next part, and they should be careful that more people than the aforementioned quota should not push their way into the synagogue, best by using a guard from the police to oversee this. Now, this is unbelievable that you have over here. Rabbi Akiva Ega saying, "I know my tzibur. Well, I know the kind of you got these nudniks." Now, there's a concept in halacha called a chasid shoita. Now, a chassid, a chassid is a pious man. A shoita is a fool. So, a chassid shoita is a foolish, pious man. A pious idiot. I think it's the way they usually translate it. So, what is a pious idiot? So, a pious idiot sees a woman drowning in the river. And he says, I'm a fool man. I can't touch women, so I won't jump in to save her. That's a classic example of a pious idiot. But he has a pious idiot. So, we've got a, we've got a pandemic going out. There are people dying all over the place. And so we're trying to create to get together and have uh, rules in place in order to make sure that uh, things don't go pear-shaped. And these nudniks are going to say, no, I want to daven, you know, uh, I have to daven. So he says, so you know how you stop that? You get a policeman. You get a non-Jewish policeman in Poland. Again, this is not that you're getting uh, the rabbi to stand at the door. You get the non-Jewish policeman to stand at the door and tell them, once they've reached the maximum prescribed 15, they should not allow hours to, others to enter the building until that group is finished. Set this, this request before the magistrate and let the magistrate know that I've written this instruction to you. So I, Rabbi Akiva Ega, who's the, you know, the, the biggest rabbi in town or in the, in, the, in the country, the chief rabbi kind of thing, I'm telling you this is what you should do. It's unbelievable. Uh, I mean, uh, we are going to have this. There's no question. There are going to be people who rock up Oh, I thought I was signed up. I thought uh, I signed up at the one. No, I signed up three weeks ago, a month ago. I said, but those sh the sheets only came out last week to sign up. No, no, I signed up ages ago, and you're gonna have to send them away. You know, and this is and this is different because Rabbi Akiva Eger is saying <coughs> this is his idea. This is not. This is based on the doctors that he's spoken to. This is not a law in Poland at the time. We just you know, have the law. And if they refuse to complain, uh, to comply, it would be good to arrange it with local authorities. It will certainly see if you mention my name, that I've instructed you to have large gatherings and so, and also that I've advised you of these arrangements and cautioned you to recite it. Okay, and then they'd have told you to pray on behalf of the king, etc., etc. So, if they refuse to, well, you just go get the authorities. If they have to be arrested and put away in a paddy wagon, so be it. But we cannot do this. This is pikuach nefesh. Now, he goes into some other bits which I've left out. But he says, and everyone should be careful not to become cold. Now, this is 1831 medicine. And this is what they thought, their limited knowledge uh, at the time. 
and um, no doubt in 100 years time they'll say the limited knowledge of the 2020 pandemic everyone should be very careful it's it's actually quite funny when you think about it that what's going to happen in 100 years time when they look at us with masks and they social distance and they did this and the other and they were so crazy back then but it's what we know at the moment and everyone should be careful not to become cold. It would be good for each person here to wear flannel belted over his belly, not eat bad foods, especially gherkins, and to reduce consumption of fruit and, uh, fruit and fish, to dress less, drink less alcohol, not to eat any food once you're full up, and it's better to eat a lot of food in small amounts of many times. So he's giving medical advice. Be clean. Do not leave any filth or dirt in home. This includes changing to clean clothing regularly each week. Um... Don't get depressed. Stay away from sadness. Do not walk about the city at night. In the middle of the day when the sun is shining, it's good to stroll in the fields, do a bit of exercise. Don't go outside on an empty stomach. Eat some grains of mustard and take some oak bark, whatever. So he's giving a whole series of protocols of how we should be behaving during the epidemic. Now, when it comes, so that's, that's a general rule. So that's not the rules that he's put in place for the running of the shul. Those are just rules that have been put, uh, general principles of how you should run it. But when it comes to actual protocols, so he's a lot more specific. So he says, we provide the following guidelines. This is the translation of this thing that I have over here. <coughs> um, they're given the recommendation of physicians, the gathering of large crowds for prolonged periods of time, leaving early on an empty stomach and breathing in sharp toxic morning air is likely to cause cholera. Furthermore, the fumes of oil lamps in the synagogues are harmful to one's health. Now, um, so what he says regarding that. So he says regarding uh, leaving uh, early on empty stomach. So usually we're not allowed to daven, bef- uh, you're not allowed to eat before you daven. He says we should always daven first and then eat. But now you're going to have to eat because not because it's dangerous. And um, the toxic morning air. So I can't remember how he gets around that. But uh, it says the oil lamps, the fumes of the oil lamps are dangerous. So he said, so the, 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 the shul is going to be pretty dark. He says you can only use wax candles. And the wax candles have to be at the front of the shul. And only the chazan can have them. Everyone has just got to stumble around in the dark. You know, try their best to do it. But we can't have it. All synagogues, including both men and women's sections, should fill only half their seating capacity such that every seat, other seat is empty. To allow for equal access during the high holy days, half the congregants will attend the two days of Rosh Hashanah, while the other half will attend for Yom Kippur with the specific holiday being determined by lottery. So lottery over here, he, he says it at length. This isn't the whole translation. He says, if your seat number ends in an odd number, you're going to get first, you're going to be able to dive in every service on Rosh Hashanah. If it ends in an even number, you'll get to dive in all the services on Yom Kippur. And that's it. A military guard should be posted at the synagogue entrance to maintain orderly seating. The length of the service of Rosh Hashanah should not exceed five hours. Now, this is quite phenomenal. I mean, five hours. I mean, we started eight. So, five hours would go to one. Now, it should not exceed. I mean, our services don't go to one. Now, the reason their services were much longer is because they have a lot of piyutim that we don't say. You'll find that we skip over a lot of different uh, piyut. is like a poem. And these were poems that were written throughout uh, Jewish history that were added into the service and they are all thematically linked to the uh, themes of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So examples of Achom Aminim is a piyut. Uh, Melech Elyon is a piyut. Unatana Tokif, Rosh Hashanah Yikatevu, that's a piyut. These are not parts of the actual service per se. These are things that are additions. 
that add uh, add meaning and add depth and add uh, add, add color to to the Rosh Hashanah davening and Yom Kippur davening. Yeah, I suppose if we appreciate them and understand them, but that's what they're there for. They're not there as uh, the, the the skeleton of the service. So he's going to say to skip. Says here, all piyutim should be omitted. Now, if the piyutim are omitted, that like it shrinks the service down. But when people daven, they were daven. I mean, the, if you lived in a generation where people really felt that when they come to daven, they um, they're standing in front of uh, Shem on the day of judgment. So, um, so that's the case. We had a shir from uh, Rav Willig, who's one of the Rosh Hashivas in YU a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, his uh, Rosh Hashanah davening is usually six hours. And this year they're going to have to limit it to three. So he's going to literally halve the time. So how are you going to halve the time? So some parts of the service you can dive in at home, um, which is what we do on Shabbat morning. So Shabbat morning in the in the main service, we start at uh, Nishmat, Kochai, which means that the, up until that point, one should be doing it at home. Um, so those are, so <coughs> those are um, one of the ways of shortening it. But the, the quickest way to shorten it is to get rid of all the Putim. Now we met with uh, we met Rabbi Cohen, myself, and all the Chazanim uh, to decide how what are we going to skip this year because we have to get the first service. So the usually davening would go from eight till twelve thirty, so it's four and a half hours. This year the earlier service is going to go for three and a half hours, so we have to find an an hour to call. Uh, the later service probably will have to find half an hour to call. So what are we going to skip? So what becomes interesting is that you've got the if we just go through the literally the bare skeleton of the davening, we are going to get to um, we'll be able to easily do it, but then it's going to be as it is we can't really sing. So how are we going to run a service that we can um, that gives people something? So so we decided that you know the the, the team that we are familiar to everybody that they sing and we're going to do them as best as we can. We might not sing the entire piyut. So minim is a very long piyut, and I mean it can go for. I mean I think in the days of the choir it could go for upwards of twenty minutes just singing it. You know it would go on and on and on. So that uh, that will be shortened somewhat, but the the core of it will be there. The cantor should not prolong the prayers with melodies and musical flourishes. So we are, it's, it's not going to be like that. But I think, you know, if you think of uh, what would Rosh Hashanah be without the Nadana Tokiv? What will, uh, what will Yom Kippur be without Kol Nidre? You know, if we just read Kol Nidre, it's hard to think that uh, people will feel like they've, they, they've been uh, absolutely, uh, you know, miss, missed it completely. All right. So those are some of the things that are happening in there. Now, with regards to things like Shofar, so had, he doesn't mention like how Shofar was blown in those years. So I don't know what they did. Um, did did the, the underst- they understood clearly that close contact to one another was, was an issue? And um, did they understand it to the same degree of uh, you know, transmission? Probably not. So how do we do it this year? So there are lots of recommendations on how to do it. Um, the way we are doing it is for um, Rabbi Cohen and myself and our various services will stand outside the shul, out in <coughs> out in the car park basically. So if you look at the you look at the bima, if you look at the aron, so on the far right is there's a door that leads to the stairs that goes up to the lady section. So there's a door that goes outside. So if you open those two doors, um, I can stand and I'll be facing outside. But the noise is loud enough that it can travel inside. So you will not see me. 
but you'll hear shofar. And that is uh, one of the recommendations to do it because in that way, the aerosols as they go out will not come into contact with anybody in the hall. Um, another option would be to uh, the baltoka, whoever's blown shofar, checks himself that he doesn't have corona. Then he can blow in the shul and can blow uh, to his heart's content. The problem with that is since they don't have uh, immediate tests for corona, you're going to have to do the test probably on Wednesday in order to ensure that you're going to get the results by Thursday, Friday. But then you also have to be in isolation between Thursday and Sunday because between those points in time, if you if you catch it, so then you defeated the whole purpose. So that's a, su- a suggestion, but it's uh, not very practical. The third solution, which is coming, and that is to place a mask over the end of the shofar. I don't have my shofar here, so you just put it on the end of the shofar. Now, the general, uh, like, surgery masks, the doctor surgery mo- surgeon masks, um, those seem to be, from a halakhi point of view, probably per- permissible because they don't affect the sound of the shofar and you do well. The problem is, medically, they're not that great. So I asked the medical team here and they said, you can do it, but you do it with the N95 mask. But the N95 mask is it's so efficient that it's impossible to blow the shofar from it. You, you, 90% of the sound gets trapped in the, in the mask. That's why we've decided to we're going to uh, blow it from outside. <coughs> so that's how we're going to do it this year. Okay. So with regards to, you know, minyanim. So how dangerous is it, Tachlis? I mean, uh, let's be honest. Is, is, it, is it that dangerous? Like if you look to Melbourne and Israel, that we really need a lockdown. Um, so you've got seemingly two groups of, let's say, the, the people who want to run the minyan. There are those who are... Um, who believe that this is all a hoax and it's just it's over over the top and there's no real danger so you get those group of let's say let's call them conspiracy theorists so conspiracy theorists uh, you're never going to convince a conspiracy theorist the other group of people are the people who think that uh even though there's a certain danger it's so important to have a minion and so important to do this and we'll do it anyway so that, that uh, second group, whether they don't believe that the danger is that much or they don't care that the danger is that much, that's your chassid shoyte, that's your pious fool. The, the first group, the, the conspiracy theorists, the big problem with that is that it's an absolute chilul Hashem. I mean, we've seen in Melbourne and in Israel um, groups of people who make enough minyanim. And the reality is, is that even though... Um, we might disagree with the governmental um, decisions of how we should or shouldn't handle this. There's a lot of criticism in, in Melbourne and in, in, and in Queensland about how these things are being handled, about border closures as well as lockdowns. But the reality is, is who are we to uh, challenge them? And if we don't subscribe to them, then it's a terrible chilal Hashem. You know, that people are saying, look at the Jews. Um, um, Rabbi Shechter said the, um, the, 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 the pandemic started in America was in the shul you know in New York it really went in a place called um, New Rochelle Scarsdale I think it was New Rochelle at the young Israel shul New Rochelle you know that's where the first that the first um, hot spot in New York came from and then it just it went like wildfire and, the, and you know that was an accident but when people deliberately they're having weddings they're having simchas they're having things and they are flouting the governmental regulations we have to as a Jewish community not only should we be subscribing to the laws wholeheartedly we should be going we should go beyond the letter of the law because this is something we really got to take seriously and the, 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 the fear of being a chil Hashem is something that we really need to take very seriously and, and avoid as much as possible okay let's go into the the, the second group, and that is doing a virus. So, 
to transgress um, Yom Kippur in this context, which is going to be the main one, but we could perhaps um, you know talk about other other things about you know taking temperatures and the like. But um, let's talk about Yom Kippur and um, fasting Yom Kippur. So, when should a person fast? So Yom Kippur is a very serious fast day, and the, even though on all the other fasts, so for example, Tzom Gedalia, there will be a lot of leniencies for people who are not a hundred percent well. You know, the pregnant women and whatever. Because maybe there's a lot of room to be lenient with regards to that. But what about um, what about uh, Yom Kippur? So Yom Kippur, there has to be first and foremost. A very legitimate reason for a person to 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 not fast being pregnant or nursing is generally not a good enough reason um, a person who is ill and the doctors say that this person cannot fast and this is not a do- I think many doctors um, are very reluctant to allow anybody to fast regardless of how well or sick they are but you know generally speaking doctors are quite reticent to allow that um, at least that's been my experience. Um, but assuming that a person can fast and uh, medically, uh, you know, they can fast. So like I know with um, when Tamar was pregnant, we asked my father-in-law, who's an obstetrician, you know, can she fast? Even when she was pregnant with the twins, the was, yeah, you know, she could fast. If I'm mistaken, she could fast. And um, these, uh, this is uh, how you got to go. So one cannot assume that, oh, I'm not well, oh, I'm pregnant or breastfeeding, so I don't fast. But where there is a concern that uh, you can jeopardize your health seriously, so there's no question you can fast. Now, with regards to corona, everybody is well. You know, sorry, everyone who is well is is well. So there's no reason whatsoever for them to not fast. If a person is has corona, so I've been I've been diagnosed with corona, so that becomes now a very different situation. And uh, already around Tisha B'Av, it was said that anybody who is in uh, has been diagnosed with corona. So even though they might feel well, the reality is their body is battling this disease, and it is not something we should, you know, too many people have died from this. And therefore, if a person has been diagnosed with it, so they've got their test back and they and they've been found positive, even though possibly it is a false positive, nevertheless they should not fast on Yom Kippur. And they should uh, obviously be in isolation, but they should not fast. But for everybody who is healthy, <coughs> no question that they should fast and there's no reason to do that. Now, that is because the nature of the, the, the disease. However, where the disease is far right, more rough and there's a lot more concern. So here comes a famous story of Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Yisrael Salanta, who was the, uh, the um, uh, founder of the Musa movement in the 1800s. And this is a story that took place on Yom Kippur. So this is a, a, a story told. I forgot who, who, um, who brought in the story a bit more. But the story goes as follows. So the story is called Shlosha Sha'achlu, through the three that ate. So three people ate. Do not eat on any regular day of the week on Yom Kippur. And not just any Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur they fell on Shabbat. And they didn't eat in secret, but in front of everyone gathered in the great synagogue. <coughs> These weren't simple people or boys. These three were not frivolous, rather they were the princes of the community and the most important leaders. None of them other than the rabbi of the city and the two Dayanim who stood with him. It was the afternoon of Yom Kippur, I assume this means Erev Yom Kippur. The rabbi stood, to, Erev Yom Kippur. The rabbi stood over, bent over the bima. Even now, I can picture an incredible sight as I stood there in the congregation in the synagogue. The 
The rabbi stood in the bimah, his dark eyes shining on from his pale face and white beard. That must have been in the morning. Must have been Yom Kippur day. The Musa service always opened and the congregation stood silently waiting to hear from this man of God. Suddenly my ears heard a sound, but I could not exactly understand what it was. I heard the sounds, but my heart could not comprehend. With the permission of God and with the permission, so this is Bereshut, so Bereshut, Hashem and Bereshut, with the permission of the community, we permit these people to eat and drink today. So that's what Rav Yisrael Salanti gets up in the Bima. And so we, I say, um, we say this at Kol Nidre just before um, Yeshiva Shamala, Yeshiva Shamata, Anu Matim, Yipalelim, Avarianim, but similar to them, Bereshut, the Kahal, Bereshut, Amakom says, Today everyone's allowed to eat and drink. And the beetle, the beetle is the Gabai, would come forward and the rabbi risked a few things. He spoke with the two of Dayanim, they nodded approval and said, and they brought a cup of wine and they made Kiddush and they ate. So you have, the, you have uh, Rav Yisrael Salanta and the two Dayanim of the town making Kiddush on Yom Kippur. I always thought the story, when I, I, didn't, I always knew the story, it was a very famous story of Rav Yisrael Salanta. I hadn't read this before, so I wasn't aware that it was during the day. I thought it was actually Leo Yom Kippur. But this is a situation when, you know, when they, the, the danger of their people cannot fast. And the, what the reality is, is that like, halachically, what's interesting is that when there's, um, just say there's um, somebody who's just been hit by a car, Nebuch, okay? And they're there, and there's a Pekuach Nebuch situation. And there's me and a non-Jew there. Who should save, who should call Triple O? Who should take this person to the hospital? So the halacha is, I should take him. You know, you, in Pikuach Nefesh, the mitzvah, you throw everything away because Pikuach Nefesh. The mitzvah now is to save a life. And since the mitzvah says, it's not that it's what we call a bidi evet. So one shouldn't think that when there's a life in danger, it is permissible to break Shabbat to save a life. That is the wrong way. It's when there's a life in danger, Shabbat doesn't exist. There is no such thing as Shabbat. It's what's in halacha called... Um, uh, Hutra uh, or So Hutra means that Shabbos doesn't exist. Duchuya means Shabbat does exist, but you're allowed to break it for a certain situation. So sometimes we go the latter, like you have to break Shabbat. Ach, all right, so I'll try to do it in a different way if I have to break Shabbat. But when it's Pikuach Nefesh, when they're saving a lot, so then you just, there's no such thing as Shabbat. So you just go as, go as if nothing, go as if it's a Sunday. So here, when it's when it's when there's there's a real concern that there's pikuach nefesh that people shouldn't get sick, so what's halacha? You eat. So not that, because if Rav Yisrael Salanta didn't eat, I think you have to appreciate this. Don't forget, these are the same nudniks that uh, Rabbi Akiva Eiger was dealing with. Uh, what thirty years earlier, what seventeen years earlier, with uh, the guys who said that even though you told them they can't come to shul, they're still going to come. So if Rav Yisrael Salanta doesn't eat, what happens? If he just gets up and he says, it is permissible to eat this year. And then he sits down. So everyone's going to be a chacham and say, when he said it's permissible to eat, what he meant is for those who need to eat. But I'm strong, so I don't have to eat. I, you know, and it, it becomes a, a chasid shoyte, a, a pious idiot again. So what's he do? He says, Rav Salanta, if I eat, everyone will eat. And that becomes uh, how everybody follows it from this thing. So in every areas of Pikuach Nefesh is that you've got to lead by example. 
And so if the mitzvah today, just says last year there was a mitzvah to fast on Yom Kippur, says Rav Yisrael Salanta, this year during the cholera epidemic, there's a mitzvah to eat on Yom Kippur. And so you have to eat and you can't do that. Now, that would be the case if somebody was ill with corona. If someone is not ill with corona, there's no reason for them to, uh, to, to be able to rule um, leniently in this regard. But as you can see, and um, we, are, we are unprecedented times in our generations and in our lifetimes, but these are by no means unprecedented times. These are things that have happened throughout our history and no doubt will continue to happen, but we should all get through them uh, reasonably unscathed, well, completely unscathed. And uh, yeah, so just to see that it has been dealt with in the past. Hope you found that interesting. It was interesting to research. If anyone's got any questions, happy to open up. Everyone should be able to unmute yourselves and ask a question if you would like. And I'll give you... Yeah, going in... Well, you know, it's interesting. There are few people who put their cameras on and none of them are in front of their cameras, which is... Uh, Begs the question why they put the cameras on. All right, everybody, have a wonderful evening. Uh, tomorrow night we will be dealing with philosophy of tshuva. Does God change his mind? Um, hope to see you then. All the best.